This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome all you fine people to another episode of literary treks i'm one of your hosts bruce gibson and with me as always with a big smile on his face and he's just happy to be here please welcome ladies and gentlemen dan gunther thank you thank you happy to be here but i do notice there are three chairs set up behind the host's desk here who do we have with us again here tonight? Well, he's someone who's been here quite often before, and he's joining us tonight, freshly shaved, Matthew Rushing. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, not too going bad. Good. You look like you're the, the one from this universe and not the mirror universe for once. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was so confusing last time, and you guys kept thinking it was evil, so I figured I'd shave it all off. <laughs> yeah, well, we still think you're evil, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> I really don't think it was the goatee that was uh, giving us that impression, but you know, hey. Man, goodness. Every time I come back, it's so mean. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's it's great to be back, and I'm really excited that uh, we're going to get the opportunity to talk to Dayton, too, so that's so much fun. Yes, Dayton Ward, who wrote Headlong Flight, which is a Next Generation novel that was just released uh, the end of January. So it's a new novel. And so he's going to share all his great writer's wisdom with us as we go through it. But before we do that, we have a comic that we want to go through with you, Matt. We want to discuss the latest New Visions comic called Sam. It might, reminds me of Green Eggs and Ham, Sam I Am, but that's not what this is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's referring, it, and it's strangely enough, it's referring to Kirk's dead brother, but before he died. Hopefully before he died. That would make for a really weird comic because, yeah, that yeah that doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a New Visions comic by John Byrne, the, the photo novel style comic uh, done about... Kirk's brother, Sam, before Operation Annihilate. And it's an interesting story because it starts out with uh, Sam being apparently not just accused of murder, but having confessed to a murder. Yeah, he actually did confess to murdering this uh, this guy on, what planet were they on? I don't even remember. Oh, they were on the Starbase 11. Starbase 11, yep. Yeah, they didn't really Seen say what the planet was. Seen in such episodes as Court Martial and The Menagerie. Exactly. And we Which gives them have... lots of uh, ability to use photos from those no- those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so we even have Commander Mendez there looking happy as always, just, you know, proud to see Kirk beam down and say, okay, Kirk, we need we called you in because you have to transport a prisoner who's accused of murder and it's your brother. Dun, 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 Sam I am. He is the murderer. So C- Commander Mendez takes Kirk over to see his brother after Kirk beams down. He takes him over to see his brother and his brother has a beard and looks like William Shatner <laughs> with weird gray flowing hair and a gray beard. Yeah, I mean, there's precedent for this. Uh, Will- Kirk's brother, Sam, of course, played brilliantly by actor William Shatner in the episode Operation Annihilate. He uh, played him as a prone corpse on the ground with a mustache. So, <laughs> you know, well within the uh, the bounds of uh, of William Shatner's acting range here. We see him as his own brother. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I, I think I like this comic. I think I like this one. Uh, I feel like it, it definitely feels like an episode. Uh, and what I actually thought was the most interesting part was the whole part with the Klingons coming in and them testing the Organian Peace Treaty and and how much they can get away with and the kind of the breakdown that that leads to you know the the animosity that we see you know uh, and uh, I I thought that that was actually really smart mm-hmm. yeah I agree I like it they were testing that that peace treaty the Klingons were and over time finding out that they can actually get away with stuff that the Organians really aren't that involved in stopping them and what they're trying to do, that the threat was there, but either they just backed away or they aren't as powerful as they were led to believe. I was really interested in this part of the story too, because really close watchers of Star Trek will know uh, continuity wise, Dax says in the episode Trials and Tribulations that Koloth always regretted not facing Kirk in battle. So as soon as it was revealed he was the commander of that ship, I was like, oh, 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 is he going to mess this up? Is he going to mess this up? And they don't really face each other in battle. Uh, yeah. Not really. So they kind of walked a fine line there and uh, it passes on that account. So all the really pedantic Star Trek fans like me who comb over stuff for stuff like that, you'll be you'll be happy. Yeah. And I also like seeing the interior of the Klingon ship. Uh, that's something we hadn't seen in great detail uh, in the original series. We've seen it in the movies, but not as much on the series in this kind of detail. So I thought it was pretty cool. And it had the same kind of feel of that time period of the sets of the original series without being too futuristic. Yeah. So overall, um, Bruce, what did you think of this comic? Um, I enjoyed it. I I would say that I was a little confused when it's revealed that Kirk's brother knew what well, see that's where I'm confused Did his brother really know that the man he killed was a Klingon secret agent or not I was really kind of confused by that what'd you think Matt uh, it it seemed to me that the revelation is that George Kirk did know uh and that everything for him he says happened so fast he just didn't have time to to really talk to anybody, and so he's just kind of flying by the seat of his pants, very Kirk-like, and it, it creates some animosity between Kirk and his brother, 
because Jim feels like his brother George didn't trust him and should have told him what was going on. Sam. Uh, so, well, isn't it George Sam Kirk? Yeah, but yeah, I guess it is. But yeah. they were keep referring so, to him as Sam in here. Yeah, they keep referring to him as Sam, which is weird because anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> all in all, I I mean, I feel like it's it's decently done, um, and you know, I I. I, again, I think the the most interesting part of the whole thing is the the Klingon Organian thing that they have in the background. Uh, the rest of the melodrama with the Kirks, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting how they leave it uh, because it, it gives just another layer to uh, their lack of a reunion, I guess, before his death in Operation Annihilate. You know, there was all of this going on kind of behind the scenes of that. So, you know, it it just adds an interesting emotional layer to that episode that I hadn't really considered. I don't know. I it's I like character work. I like things that are done interestingly with characters we know and love. So that aspect of it, I, I kind of appreciate a little bit. Yeah, I think I like this out of the other new visions. This is probably in my, you know, top, not saying maybe number one, but like top three or something. I really did enjoy this one. I thought it had a good story to it. Even though, I, like I said, I was a little confused by whether his brother really knew what was going on and whatever. But everything else uh, with the Klingons was really good. So, But I'd love to hear what other listeners think of this comic if they've read it you can always reach out to us you can send us an email or even a voicemail or just reach out to us on social media so if you wanted to send us an email you can do that by just going to trek.fm you can do that by just going to trek.fm slash contact or you can send us a voicemail just go to our website and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm you can follow us on twitter at Trek FM, Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash Trek FM, and you can go into the Babel Conference. You can join us there to discuss everything Star Trek and even the topics we talk about here on the show. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek FM and click discussion on the menu bar. And Dan, would you like to tell everybody about what we have going on over at Goodreads? Definitely. Well, goodreads.com, if you go there and search for Literary Treks, we have our own group there that you can join. And in that group, we have discussions going on about all the books and comics that make up the Star Trek universe. Even ones we haven't talked about on the show, there's always really interesting discussions. And if you don't see one for a book that you have read or would like to read, go ahead and start one. People will always be wanting to join in. We also have bookshelves there where we keep track of all of the books we've read in previous episodes and also books that are coming up in future episodes so that if you'd like to follow along with us and keep up to date with what's coming up on the show, you can do that there. All right. Well, I think it's about time we go into our feature. I think Dayton's ready. I hear him outside beeping the horn in his car. He's getting our attention. So let's just run out and grab him and bring him right in. Well, guys, I'm really excited because... Yet again, we have a guest here at Literary Treks, someone who's actually written a Star Trek novel yet again. Isn't that unusual? <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely it never happens here. Absolutely. It never happens. It never happens. It's like Armageddon's arrow. It just never happens. I don't know what that <laughs> means. 
but that's just my way of leading. I, maybe we could we could ask the guest. He might know what that. Yeah, means. guest Dayton Ward, author of Headlong Flight. It's a next generation novel. Thank you for joining us. Hi guys, how's it going? Hey, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming by. Well, I mean, they they haven't learned their lesson. They keep asking <laughs> me to write some of these things, so I will keep doing it until they figure out the error of their ways. They keep asking us, should Dayton write another book? And we go, maybe just one more. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, just one just more. One. Uh, my favorite thing was the other day tweeting that I was going to be reading the book while the halftime show was going, and somebody tweeted that that Dayton Ward is a hack. <laughs> I don't know who that was, but it's my man. wife or one of my kids. Yeah. <laughs> I saw your that. account was totally hacked. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Was, yeah. My account was hacked. That's what it was. It was uh, something like that. So of course we're here to talk about headlong flight. So why don't you give us a little synopsis of what the book's about? I would if I could remember. No, I was kidding. Um, <laughs> basically, it is a standalone tale, uh, a next generation tale. It uh, takes place in the weird. I, I, do we still keep calling it the post movie era now since we're what a decade or more beyond all that? I, I hear a lot of people calling it the post destiny era. Destiny era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that I don't know if that helps with the with the casual. No, it probably doesn't. So but for hardcore fans, it's post destiny era for casual or new fans. It's the post movie era. Um, and I've got the Enterprise out exploring a previously unsurveyed area of space uh, called the Odyssean Pass. And this is the second book that I've written uh, where they're out there doing that sort of thing. In and around John Jackson Miller's epic trilogies and crossover tales that require the Enterprise to come back from the Odyssean Pass and make that four-week round trip or four-month round trip or whatever it is. Um, anyway, they, uh, they encounter what they find. They call it a rogue planet and discover that the planet is shifting dimensionally for reasons unknown. And despite the fact that people on the planet tell the Enterprise to go away, it's not safe, you shouldn't stay here, naturally we have to send an away team to investigate. And things go horribly wrong. And hilarity ensues, and hijinks ensue, and all that stuff that you hope happens in a Star Trek novel. Do they call the planet Rogue One? No, I didn't have the opportunity to use that title. It was taken from me. That would have been awesome. <laughs> um, so anyway, along the way, the Enterprise-E also encounters the Enterprise-D, or does it? That's, of course, part of the discussion I guess we'll have once we get to the spoiler section of the interview. And a bird of prey from the 23rd century, because why not? Um <laughs> We can get into it a little bit here, but the the idea for this basic plot line was something I actually pulled out of what became Armageddon's Arrow and tabled for a later story, thinking I'll find some way to use it later. And then I ended up spinning it out into its own little story. I know you said, you know, let's let's avoid spoilers and maybe get to that later, but it almost starts off that you can't even talk about the first few chapters without spoiling the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Maybe you should... Put something in at the beginning of this. Spoilers start from the very <laughs> beginning. Um, yeah, I set it up that way to sort of like hint that something is amiss, you know, with the with the chapter set on the Enterprise D. And then you know, it doesn't take very long to peel the to peel the layer back and figure out that uh, something's something's not quite right here. Um, actually, I we went back and forth on that with my editor. I went back and forth on that with my editor Margaret Clark about how to open the book because I you know I said I don't want to. I don't want to give it away right away, but I don't want to spend a lot of time fooling the reader that something's amiss. So we settled on the the opening chapter is sort of a head fake, and then uh, and then we get on with it. Well, I thought that that opening bit was a lot of fun because 
there are kind of a couple little hints in there, like you say. And I found myself as I got later in the book and realizing Picard wasn't the captain on the Enterprise D having to go back and go, but they mentioned he was going to come to the poker game. And I flipped through him like, oh, he never said Picard. He just said the captain. So really clever. That was a lot of fun. Tight little line to walk. And I knew I couldn't get away with that for more than a scene or two. So I decided to get dispensed with it after the first scene, just open up on the next scene where, you know, you open up on the bridge and it's Riker, the captain and uh, Yar is still there, but it's after the best of both worlds or is it that kind of thing? But yeah, it was a, uh, I actually had a little chart to keep track of where I was and who was where and which characters I could use and which characters could interact with the other characters and or whose counterpart would meet up with their doppelganger or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, I was I was uh, taking a lot of Tylenol. Yeah, because when I got to that, I think it was maybe like a chapter three or four or whatever it was when we got we were we started chapter one on the Enterprise D. Then we went to chapter two E. So I guess it's maybe three. But I remember yars on the bridge and i'm thinking oh okay so the earlier story was like maybe year three or four or something like that then we went to the enterprise e then we went back to the d but now we're at season one so we're gonna have maybe like all kinds of time periods and then there's yar but then they refer to Jordy as the chief engineer and i'm like wait he wasn't chief <laughs> what did he do what did that bastard do i'm like this guy <laughs> has lost his mind he's he he got all the continuity wrong <laughs> and then <laughs> you mentioned losing my mind is not mutually exclusive to messing with the continuity. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. Like I said, it was, uh, I didn't want to play around too much with the guessing game and I didn't want to, I didn't want to yank the reader around too much. So after that first scene, I got down to explaining what at least, you know, enough that, uh, the reader could determine that this was a past story, but yet not quite a past story, that kind of thing. Yeah, I had my little spreadsheet. And that was the other reason that I didn't want to have too many instances where a character from our timeline meets up with their counterpart from the other timeline because then you have to get talking to back and forth about Jordy A, Jordy B, Prime Jordy, Kelvin Jordy, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to mess around too much with that. It could get confusing really quick. And even in those instances where I did do that, I actually had to go back once or twice and correct where I had flipped it. I had actually flipped point of views to the wrong Jordy, for example. And as I told Margaret, I says, I got to quit writing this book soon because I'm starting to see Jordy's in my sleep and uh, <laughs> things like that. I think he's the one that gets the most play from both uh, timelines is Jordy. And um, so I was starting to have a little, I was getting punchy there toward the end when I was uh, cramming toward my deadline. How did you decide, uh, you know, what to do with that kind of alternate reality Enterprise D? Like, how how did you put together the pieces and, and what was your thought process behind, you know, having like a character like Yar survive and that kind of stuff? Uh, how did that all come about? Well, I mean, I, I basically made a list of the characters from the D and the E. And, and then I started looking at what point during the because I, I knew I wanted to set it during what would have normally been the events of the series, the uh, Next Generation series. So it just became a matter of which which year did I want to set it in, which, uh, which set or subset of characters would be represented. So would it be Crusher as the doctor or Pulaski as the doctor? And then I realized I can just throw caution to the wind a little bit here. And uh, when I, I, I knew from the beginning it was going to be post-season three and after the events of the best of both worlds. So Riker was going to be the captain 
Uh, it was just a matter of, well, why not throw Pulaski in there instead of Crusher? And why not keep Yar alive? And why not keep Wesley on the ship? And things like that. Uh, mostly because conscious of the fact that it was a, this is the 30th anniversary year of Next Gen, I kind of wanted to have as many of the characters throughout Next Gen as possible and probable and conceivable and believable. Uh, believable is probably too strong a word. I probably I should probably pull that one back. But um, I just thought, why not play around with this a little bit? I've got a Crusher on the E, so why not have Pulaski on the D? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was definitely a really fresh take on this sort of thing. And kind of almost scratched that itch a little bit about wanting to see uh, um, stories set during the series, but with a different take on it, which was a lot of fun. We've had that conversation about should we have stories set during the run of the different television series. And um, for whatever reason, they're reluctant to do that. I guess that I guess for Next Generation in particular, the stories that are set post-movie era continue to sell very well. Um, but we don't do very many if, you know, I can't remember the last time there was a story set solely within the events of the television series. It's been a while, and I know I haven't written one. Um, in fact, I think the, the one time I wrote a Next Generation story set during the series was an anthology short story for Next Generation. That sky's the limit. So this was sort of a way to kind of back into doing a story set during the series, but not quite. I mean, I, in other words, I was able to get away with it because of the setup, but I've been kind of wanting to write one set there on the D for a while because I kind of miss the Geordi data dynamic and I miss the Riker data dynamic and the Riker, you know, the Riker war, Riker anything dynamic pretty much. Um, I, I miss that. Um, and especially at that point in their careers and their lives when they're uh, on the D. So this was sort of a way to halfway get away with it. Um, I mean, it's not like I pulled one over on my editor. She's like, I see what you did there, but I'm hoping that if if the uh, if this is well received enough, then we might be able to revisit the idea of of a, another tale set during the actual events of the show. Because right now we only seem to be able to do that with the original series uh, crew. Uh, for whatever reason, those things are bulletproof. You can set a tale anywhere on that timeline, and it seems to be it'll stick. Uh, but the other series are a little more tricky, particularly for something like Voyager and DS9, where so much happens at the end of those shows and upends their status quo. Um, it's sort of it's sort of hard to go back to that, but I know there are fans and readers who want to see stories set during those time frames. So, who knows? Never say never. It makes me want to. Reading the story, I was I was feeling that a little bit in the sense of I, I want data back. You know, I realized mm-hmm. that, uh, and, and and data's never been a favorite character of mine, but there's something so. Um, intrinsic about data being part of the next generation and not yeah. really having him around except for when you know it's like a cold equations thing um, is it I don't know it, it just feels like um, it would be kind of fun maybe at this point after so many years of him being who he is uh, deciding he wants to maybe rejoin Starfleet or something yeah I don't back. know I'm I'm sort of of two minds about that one I mean is I, I get that but at the other time at the other same time they've done so much with his character beyond uh, what he was able to do during the show and, the, and what they were able to do with him during the show and the films. Um, it almost seems like a, a step back for his character to just put him back on the bridge of a ship somewhere. But they seem to have a, they seem to have a direction that they're following for data with some of the books, like the stuff that Jeff Lang is writing. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not eager to get in the way of that. Uh, I'd rather let Jeff explore that space and do whatever he's going to do with him. And then 
if he decides that there's a way to rope him back into one of the series or in, in some capacity, then, then we'll take that. I'll take that ball or baton when it's passed back to me, but uh, I'm not looking to upend anything Jeff's doing right now. I half wondered when I was reading this book, we saw data interacting with the enterprise E crew. And I thought, is he possibly going to bring data back to the E from another dimension? And we have two datas in the prime <laughs> timeline. One is the data we're used to, and the other is the data that has gone through all these changes and stuff. And we'd have a fistful of datas. Oh, I see. Well, you, you've been waiting all day to say that, haven't I've you? I've been planning it. <laughs> <laughs> you practiced that speech, didn't you? Well, I mean, that would be typical of the novel writers. I mean, kill data, we'll bring them back twice. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, to be honest, I, I didn't think about that when I was writing the outline for the book. I did, I did wonder about it while I was writing the actual manuscript because some, and it's funny you bring that up because somebody else asked me if I was maybe going to bring Tasha back from the other timeline and put her on the bridge of the E sort of like a yesterday's enterprise in reverse. And that wasn't my intention either. I, I really honestly hadn't even considered that possibility uh, until that reader brought it to my attention. I thought well, they probably wouldn't have let me get away with it anyway. But, um, and I, and I, this, the trouble is with something like this, with a story like this, where you're already playing fan wank, you know, at dangerous levels, it, there is a risk of going too far over the line. So I, I wondered, I wonder if uh, bringing data and or yar back would have, would have crossed that line. I don't know. But we almost got Picard's fish back. So <laughs> almost. Yeah. He thought, is there room in my bag to take him with me? You know, that kind of thing. Um, or I mean, there's uh, there's a uh, is it it's inconclusive whether the shit the, the the fish survive generations. I mean, it's I think it's even money, right? There's there's people in both camps that he survived or he didn't. Um, I think Memory Beta says he survived. Um, I don't know how because if you look at that fish bowl at the end of generations, it's like a big dark hole in the wall. It looks like it got blasted. So I don't know if that fish survived and he was wearing armor. Um, <laughs> Well, they didn't want to say. They didn't want PETA getting mad at them, you know? They like, were harmed in the making. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to say, I just, I absolutely love Star Trek fans. We'll argue over whether a fish survived <laughs> generations. I love it. That's that, cool. I'll spend an hour looking for the information that gives me the source <laughs> one way or the other. I'm like, I, I literally had to go look it up. I'm like, did the freaking fish survive or not? I don't remember. And I still can't tell you if he did or not. I, I want to say that I went with he did, probably just as a throw to PETA. I don't know. Maybe you should write a Finding Dory or Finding Nemo tale. Finding Livingston. Um, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that'll go over well. I'll pitch that. John Van Sitters will will immediately sever all ties. Um, so yeah, I'll keep that in mind though. Just I'll, I might pitch that as an April Fool's joke. Don't, don't listen to this, John. That sounds like a great Waypoint comic right there. <laughs> hey, there you go. So you know, yeah. Okay, so something that was really kind of fascinating about the book was watching Riker try to be captain of the Enterprise and in some ways having some of the same struggles that we see Picard, like how to gel with the crew now that you're at a different rank, but also always thinking of himself kind of being in that shadow. I mean, it, it's a long... I mean, Picard's not a tall man, but he casts a long shadow. And... And then coming face to face with that shadow uh, and, and, and kind of uh, trying to work through that and talking with Troy about that. I found that really, really fascinating because, you know, that is something that we have never gotten to see a Riker go through that kind of experience because obviously Picard lived. Yeah, I mean, they hint at it. 
in the episode when he talks to Guinan. Um, but there's no time to really explore that because the events of the episode are, you know, kicked back up into high gear and you don't, you don't really get a chance to, to, uh, to play with that. I mean, it's, I know that when they wrote the cliffhanger for best of both worlds, they honestly at the time did not know whether Patrick Stewart was going to come back. So they were prepared to go the other direction. That's, that's the story. Now, I don't know if it's, there's any truth to that or if it's just, you know, a, a legend that sprung up in the years, but my understanding was that, that they were not sure if he would come back. So they wrote the cliffhanger the way they did with the idea that it could be resolved one of two ways. Um, it would have been fascinating. I mean, that would have been a gutsy choice to not have him, you know, uh, come back from those events. But, you know, Patrick Stewart is the star of the show. So we all knew he was probably going to come back. But still, at the same time, you're left with that what if, you know. And, and I know that, like, the Parallels episode gives you a, a couple of brief glimpses of Riker in command after Picard is dead. And, and it doesn't seem to be going well for Mr. Riker at that point. So there was there was a lot of there was a lot of room to play and 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 explore you know his feelings on the subject and being thrust into that role and then having his ability and his uh, his capabilities challenged by people that we know from the lore you know like Jellico you know so he and Jellico never get along and so I basically accelerate that relationship where they don't get along. It was just uh, an opportunity. You know, it's not something you typically get to do, even with the stuff that, even with the freedom we're given with the with the books. It's not a scenario you get to play with because, like you said, Riker hasn't really been in that situation. So, yeah, it was fun. That was one of the driving reasons that I came up with the plotline is I wanted to play with uh, Riker. Well, not to mention then after being put into command, coming to fa face to face within a year, uh, another Captain Picard to kind of check up on him basically and see how he's doing. And the fact that he's so much older, I mean, you know, he's, tw he's what, they're 20 odd years older at mm -hmm. that point. In, in time um so it's like all the questions that you must have you're right it's like you just there's no time to ask and answer all those questions and of course every question every answer would would spawn dozens more questions and it could get out of hand pretty quick that was sort of a, a thing i had to keep an eye on it's like it's, it's i can lose control of this thing really fast if i'm not careful so i had to lay in some some ground rules about violating the the temporal prime directive and all that so, and keeping contact minimized between the two crews so that was more for my own uh, sanity than anything else. Well, another character note that I thought was really interesting was Wesley Crusher's role in this book. And of course, in season seven, we learned that, you know, the path of the Starfleet officer isn't the path that he's meant to be on. He's not following his father's footsteps. I thought that was really interesting that the Wesley of, of this secondary universe figured that out much earlier and... You know, do you think maybe that was true for him all along and he didn't recognize it until later in our universe? Or like, I, I like that idea of him being a civilian advisor on the ship. What what kind of brought that idea up? It was, uh, I don't know that he goes all the way to the, to, the, to the fact that, or, you know, he gets all the way to the realization that he's not cut out for Starfleet. I, I don't think he really, I don't think he truly makes that decision until after the incident at the Academy is, is when he really starts to question that. Um and we haven't gotten to that point in the timeline uh, for the other universe. I mean, if, if assuming everything plays out in the same way, um, he may, but I don't remember what made me decide to make him a civilian. I think it was just to kind of change it up a little bit and have a little bit of when he first began uh, his little tutelage under Picard, you know, they made him an acting ensign and he wasn't really in uniform. He was just sort of playing the role a little bit. I decided I wanted to have him have the freedom to, to explore the engineering side of things without having to deal with the Starfleet stuff. 
And I had planned, I had, I had thought about maybe tying it to the fact that he's upset that Picard uh, is gone, but I decided not to, to dwell on that too much. I think it was just, he would rather stay on the enterprise, but necessarily doesn't want to be a Starfleet officer. Um, he just decided he's better suited this way. Kind of like an SCE engineer, you know, where those guys are not all Starfleet. Some of those guys are civilian technicians that just happen to play the role for our amusement or, you know, Hawkeye Pierce and DJ aren't really soldiers. They're just doctors in green uniforms. Um, I was sort of playing in that space. I think the biggest part is that, you know, Picard is not there. His mom is not there. He's, he's able to live his own little life without everybody putting a lot of expectations on him as far as career path. He may, I don't know that he decided that Starfleet's not for him. I think he just decided he preferred it the other way, not because of any negative experiences personally, you know, like the, you know, like the incident at the Academy, which basically would break most normal folks. I kind of like that because we don't tend to see that a lot in Star Trek people who choose the career path outside of Starfleet. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of such a big thing when Jake decided, you know, dad, I don't want to be a Starfleet officer. And, you know, it's nice to kind of play around in that world outside of Starfleet. I also, you know, that's something that they didn't really explore on the series a lot was even though there are all these civilians on the ship, you know, spouses of Starfleet officers and, and everything, they don't really go into what those people do on the ship. It's like they can't all just sit in their rooms and watch TV all day. Some of them have to have jobs, right? Um, whether they be civilian scientists or civilian engineers. And even in the modern day military, you know, they carry civilian technicians and specialists with them. They're the people who deal with the computer systems or deal with the, uh, the, the reactor systems. They, you know, they're not in the Navy. They are, they're civilian contractors or DOD contractors. So I was sort of angling for a, not quite a nose on parallel, but something like that for Wesley. Yeah. I guess Keiko is really the only character that we saw on a regular basis on the enterprise that wasn't a Starfleet officer. And they made her a teacher, right? When she was yeah. teacher. Yeah. I'm like, okay, come on. Really? There's like, there's, how many people on that ship they can't all not have they can't all be doing nothing or they can't all be school teachers or something somebody has to be doing something to pass the time or maybe she's teaching all those crew members and they're in school watching her teach them i don't know <laughs> they all can't get in trouble on the holodeck there's only so many holodecks so it's uh yeah i i just was one of those things that i felt was underserved during the course of the show well we have all these characters that we've seen from the show in the novel but then we have the crew members that aren't on the show that are now on the enterprise e and a reoccurring character is lieutenant chen and she was on the away team that's on the shuttlecraft that lands on the planet. And even though she's with other crew members, for example, like Worf, everything was from her perspective. Could you tell us why you decided to have the, those scenes be from Chen's perspective? I think we've, it's kind of goes back to something I think we talked about before. I just like the, the fresh, the fresh perspective that she brings to uh, these situations. We've had countless stories with Picard and the gang and the classic characters. And so a chance for a new character to give us their view on what's going down, particularly when you're looking at two sets of people, you know, that, that are the same. Um, I just thought it was a way to, to kind of change up the formula, so to speak. We know from the shows and all the other novels how Picard and Riker and Worf are liable to react to a situation like this. Whereas for somebody like Chen or uh, El Fiki or somebody, they've never done this yet. <laughs> they haven't had a chance to be put through the ringer by Brian and Braga and Ronald D. Moore. So uh, we've got some, we've got some, uh, some new ground to, to travel and, and see where it takes us. 
And it's, it's also plays into my personal favorite when dealing with Chen. I like playing her off the card in a lot of these scenes. I'll play a lot of those scenes from her point of view again, because we can predict you know, with a large degree of certainty, how Picard is going to think about a situation or react to a situation. But Chen gives us such a little chance to inject a little uh, uh, extra surprise, if you will, uh, into into the given uh, reactions. That's just me, though. That's my personal kink. Well, and one of the things that I, I liked about it, too, was that, you know, we have these characters throughout the different novel series, whether it's Deep Space Nine or Voyager, where we have new characters. And so when the authors invest time in them and kind of give us their thought process and their, their perspective and understand their life and give them a life, you know, and have them interact well with the other crew members uh, that we already know. I, it, to me, it just makes, you know, like Chen's been around for a long time now. And to me, she's as much a part of what I think of as the Enterprise E as honestly, you know, a wharf or a Picard, like she belongs on the Enterprise because of all the time that we've invested her. So I love that when the writers continue to do that because it helps us keep invested with, you know, not just Picard and Crusher and everybody else, but these newer characters that, you know, uh, well, I say newer, but, you know, a lot of them are like 10 years old now. So. Yes, some of them are. I mean, I, I guess it's hard it's hard for me to get it from that perspective because I haven't I haven't been with them the whole 10 years. I get them in fits and starts, you know, periodically. Um, so for me, they're still relatively new. Um, and there's a lot there to mine um, for 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 uh, story potential and character dynamics. Um, at the same time, you know, when you're a reader and you're coming to these books and you're like, I'm expecting to see a book with the seven people from the TV show. Why? Who are all these other people in their spots? That's, you know, that's a challenge to us to make the reader care about these new characters the same way they care about Data and Riker and Troy and the other people who are not on the ship anymore. Um, we have to earn that. So the only way to do that, though, is to take some time to flesh them out. If anything else, if anything, I um, probably need to spend more time on some of the other characters uh, like Elfiki and, 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 and Joanna Fower and, and some of the other folks that don't get as much screen time, if you will. Um, and that's something I kept in mind when I was writing the follow-up to Headlong Flight, <laughs> so that that'll be out later in the year. I got I gave a chance to some of the other characters to get a little screen time. <laughs> Excellent. Oh man, I want to talk about that a bit for sure. Um, but one thing, uh, just going back to Headlong Flight for the moment, um, the Romulans in this story, I I absolutely love the Romulans, and their kind of distrust and wariness when it comes to Starfleet, especially in the 23rd century where, where this bird of prey comes from. Um, I was kind of thinking about the effect that this incident would have on the various universes. And I was kind of hoping that they've influenced the Romulan commander and her crew for the better. And I especially loved the Romulan commander, how she kind of comes around and, and starts to trust our Starfleet guys and I was wondering if there are any kind of particular inspirations for that story with the Romulan commander. I mean, it's it's a very quintessential Star Trek message, that part of the story. Well, I mean, I don't like mustache twirling bad guys. Uh, I like I like to have nuanced. I don't even like to call her the villain because she's not the villain. She's just someone who, you know, is, is serves as the antagonist, but she's not really evil or bad. She's just doing her job, just like mm -hmm. the Starfleet folks are doing her job. And I don't. I'm assuming since you read Vanguard, you know where I got the characters from. Um, please tell me you didn't pick up. Tell, please tell me you picked up on that. 
oh, I feel like an idiot. But yes, of course. Oh my God, it's all coming together. <laughs> wow. Whoops. Okay. Dan, I didn't even read Vanguard and I knew that one. Oh, oh. fail. <laughs> I'm not a true I just Star like Trek fan. I just like making feel Dan, Turn Dan in feel your bad Trekkie here. card, man. Um, <laughs> no, what happened was I was when I was writing the outline and I and I had the Romulan crew and I was deciding how I wanted to portray I may have even gotten past the outline to the manuscript stage, but um, I don't remember at this point, but I re at some point I was deciding how I wanted to portray my character, my Romulan characters and, and what type of commander I wanted. And of course I, I was, I, I resisted the temptation to use a known Romulan commander from Star Trek. So like, you know, like Mark Leonard's Romulan commander or the one from the third season. For one thing, she's already got like 17 different first names, and I didn't want to give her 18. <laughs> um, and we've used her a lot in stories like this. So I, I decided I needed to come up with a new set of characters for the Romulans. And then at some point, it, I just looked at the wall and went, why am I doing this? I have a perfectly cool crew uh, that I can repurpose from the Vanguard stories because, you know, those guys are dead. So I can – and this is a different timeline, so I can I can do whatever I want with these folks. So, you know, little little – little moving around and bam i have a i have a almost fully realized romulan crew that, uh, already had relationships established so i uh, i just kind of moved a few pieces around on the board to help them fit better into their alternate take on the on the 23rd century and go from there um and and the character from vanguard the the the, the commander of the of the ship in that story she was of similar mindset she wasn't you know, a villain for villain's sake. She she was more nuanced and thoughtful and deliberate in her in her approach to command and her approach to the mission. So, I just sort of wanted to get that going with this new version of her. So let me ask you this, because now my mind is like really working right now. Boom, bam. So, the Romulans from Vanguard are they in this story from also a different dimension, or are they just from the same? dimension and timeline as the enterprise e but they're just coming in from a different from the past they are in a separate dimension from the d and the e they come from a dimension slightly off kilter from the one we know because if it's and i think i made it as almost a throwaway reference where she's referring to the fact that the enterprise got destroyed at the neutral zone by the romulan commander from the balance of terror incident Oh yeah. Uh, so it's you know, and I I I didn't draw attention. I didn't want to draw too much attention to that. Uh, I that to that citation. I just let it kind of let it fly in one or two sentences, and then kept on going. Um, and only one person called me on it so far. I guess it was that subtle or that fleeting or whatever you want to call it. Um, but she she called me out on the carpet for that one. I I, can't, I see what you did there. Um, so yeah, it's it's from another dimension that's slightly to the left or right of what we know um, how far a field that goes. We don't know because we don't get a chance to revisit that dimension. Um, and that's probably my biggest regret is I now have two sets of characters that I sent home that I'd kind of like to spend more time with uh, should opportunity arise. Yeah. I kind of wanted to say earlier, and, and I mean, this is, you know, a niche of a niche, but I would totally read an entire story with that that enterprise d crew from there are four people who would want to read that story and they're all on this call um <laughs> maybe my editor it was it was maybe, good stuff maybe yeah. my editor oh, yeah. i don't know um i did i came away thinking i'd like to follow those guys back and and maybe write a story uh maybe it's something that can uh fill an ebook slot or something i don't know uh i have to 
have to bug Margaret about that and see what she says. Well, can we have the Enterprise E-Crew interact with them again? Because, you know, you brought up the topic in the book. I mean, can we interfere with other dimensions? That's the debate that's in there. That's the debate, and they, they basically play it safe. Uh, they don't know what they're doing in terms of – I mean, they play it mostly safe. They're, um, they're trying to minimize contamination, for lack of a better term. And um, But my thinking is – you know, I just I'd rather have a story completely set in one of those alternate time time frames or alternate dimensions, whatever you want to call it, and and just tell a story that's that you know is driven by events there and the setup there versus any kind of interference from outside. Kind of like telling a mirror universe story completely on the other side without the crossover, you know. Um, and I mean, I know we explored some of that sort of thing with the split infinities, uh, the myriad universes um, collections, but. Um, you know, this is one of those things that would fit right in with uh, those type of stories. Definitely. Well, you mentioned uh, the universe is kind of playing it safe, uh, not wanting to violate the temporal prime directive, possibly worried about a visit from Dulmer and Luxley down the line. But there is one big decision, of course, that comes at the end of this book. And of course, we've been talking spoilers this whole time. So hopefully everyone out there, you've read the book if you're listening to this. Picard chooses to give the schematics for the transphasic torpedoes to this alternate timeline or alternate universe. Uh, what ultimately made you decide to have him make that decision? Uh, I wrestled with this a little bit. And, and, and in hindsight, um, I don't know that I handle it as well as I could have. Um, I gave them the idea because at that point in the Enterprise D timeline, the Borger are very much a threat and they're still an ongoing threat that the worst has not yet been seen from them. Um, and of course, if we start with the, the with, if we go with the events of what became the destiny storyline, you know, there's a solution there that will ultimately reveal itself. But um, without any way of knowing whether the events will play out in similar fashion in the other universe, uh, that seemed to be the, 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 the stop gap uh, measure, uh, give them a chance to, if anything else, catch their breath before they have to deal with the board, you know, full on. I think, though, when I go back and look at the manuscript, because you're not the first person to ask me about it, um, I think some of what I tried to set up got got left or cut out, I guess, during revisions, or I didn't, I didn't, I didn't beef it up enough during revisions. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I handled that as well as I, I wanted to in hindsight. Um, I I think it came off a little too too um, too absolute in terms of a decision that Picard makes in terms of giving the, the, the torpedo specs. I think I, I should have wrestled with that a little bit more. We call that a casualty of time, I guess. <laughs> um, I did think there was a really interesting parallel there in that, you know, the, the torpedoes kind of came to quote unquote our universe in much the same way. It was an alternate timeline deciding that, you know, we needed a leg up kind of thing. Well, I mean, yeah, and I, I, because my intention was during their discussions, Riker and Picard, you know, the two of them who interact, and you know, you know, Picard's getting the lowdown of lowdown of what the situation is like in the in the in the D timeline, and you know, the, so the the wounds are still raw, um, um, Starfleet is still reeling from their loss at Wolf three five nine, and they're still trying to figure out what to do with the Borg, and you know, we we know how that plays out in our universe. Um, we don't know how it can play out or might play out in the other timeline. Um, it's very possible that Riker could find the, you know, uh, uh, the solution that was that Picard found in Destiny, or something else completely comes along and just totally screws up the game board over there. 
that was probably one of the 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 the, the hardships of dealing with a storyline like this is you you've only got so much space to tell your story uh and some things have to go uh, but so if i had it to do over again i might revisit that 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 part of it uh, maybe there'll be a director's edition or something at some point i mean i'm not dissatisfied with the way it ended i just think you know have, having had somebody bring it up i'm like well now that you think about it or now that you mention it and i think about it differently hmm that's not a bad idea i wish i'd thought more about that that way when I was writing the book. I, I actually liked, I, and I have to say, I, I enjoyed that part of the story. It felt like, it felt like a decision that the Picard, who has been through, you know, all the movies and all of this stuff uh, over the last few years, um, you know, that we've been in the novel verse, and who had met Kirk, w that's the decision that that Picard would make. You know, Picard, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago would not have made that decision. But this Picard would. And I just felt like it, it to me, it just kind of signified that change in, in, in who we think of as Picard, that he's a little bit looser with the rules. Um, and, and I don't know. I just think it, it, I would, I'm just saying it worked for me. I actually, I just thought it was a cool thing to see Picard do something that, um, yeah, just kind of was, um, thumbing its nose at the rules a little bit more than we would normally think he would. Plus it's hard. You know, I guess in my, in my head, I had it as, you know, it, it would be hard to convince Riker in particular that, Hey, you know, uh, you got your ass kicked, but it's going to get better. Um, <laughs> but it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Believe me. Yeah. Be okay with it. It's kind of hard to sell that, you know? Um, I, I, yeah, I can, you can discuss it either way. I mean, well, I mean that, but I guess that's what makes for a halfway decent story is if we're talking about all the different things that could go in different directions. So maybe I did my job right. I don't know. I never think I do my job right though when I write these things. So ultimately it's not my, uh, it's not my, uh, my decision. It's up to the reader to decide if I did it right or not. Well, it was kind of interesting that whole thing from Riker's perspective to me, because to me it was, you know, what was unsaid spoke so much, so many volumes and, and they have that feeling at the end, like, Oh, something big's coming with the Borg, I think. Cause they kind of really didn't talk about that. They just gave us this torpedo. And I, I thought that was really fascinating to think about it from that perspective. The, the whole, I mean, even though the, even though there's arguments to be made that the temporal prime directive does not apply in situations like this. I mean, I, I think Picard is sort of the guy that would follow the spirit of a rule like that versus the letter, you know, and we, I think we have precedent for that uh, just by the way he interprets the prime directive. So that was part of it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's ready to just like set fire to the place, but I, I, he would, it's like Matt said, you could, you could see him bending the rule a little bit, not giving them all the answers, but at least giving them a, a fighting chance, I guess, to solve the puzzle, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's hard to not, make a pat ending out of that thing. Um, and again, I, I, I so much wanted to spend more time with the enterprise D crew and the Romulan crew, but, um, there's only so many pages they let me stuff in that book. So, yeah, with everything with the temporal prime directive, really, if Picard is in a jam and he can't figure things out, he has a resource he could go to. There's a new character you introduced in the book. Who's a professor of temporal matters at the Academy. <laughs> 
<laughs> I knew you were going to get me on this one. <laughs> and he's got this. Um, uh, I think the name is Bennett. Where Where did you come up with that? He goes on long, complicated discussions about time travel. <laughs> of course, it's named after Harv Bennett. Um, uh, I don't know what else you could be talking about. Um, now, obviously, that was a, a tip of the hat to uh, uh, Christopher Bennett, uh, who is our acknowledged expert. Uh, when it comes to matters of Trek science and uh, Trek technology, and uh, um, particularly with time travel, you know, because he's written a couple of really cool books about uh, somehow managing to make all the time travel in Star Trek make some sort of sense. Um, so he's my go-to guy when I have questions like that, um, and uh, a lot of us lean on him when it comes to the science and and and, and stuff. So it was a well it was a well-meaning. Uh, salute to mr bennett uh having fun with him or laughing with him a little bit versus laughing at him so i'm sure he'll find a way to get me back at me for that so well i was kind of wondering so you had mentioned i mean you have another tng book coming up and that you had some ideas uh, specifically while writing this one where you want to go and any teases that we can get from you about what's going to be coming up for the Enterprise crew? Well, um, you guys, we've talked about books that I've written before uh, from History Shadow and Elusive Salvation. Um, this is sort of a part three to some of that. Uh, there'll be some DNA or there'll be some connective tissue uh, between uh, this new book and uh, those two books. Uh, we will, I, I can't mine the 20th century for history anymore. I have to, or for, for, for places to put people anymore. I have to move into the 21st century and make things up. Um, the formula will be changed up a little bit, um, but there will definitely be some connections to those two books or to the to things I set forward in those two books. Um, but it's definitely with Picard and the gang doing their thing. So uh, the book is called Hearts and Minds, and it will be out in May, June. It's the June book, so it'll be out the last week in May. So, Excellent. Well, really looking forward to that. And um, speaking of Professor Bennett, there were a bunch of references in this book, and I'm, I'm hoping there will be just as many in Hearts and Minds because it's a lot of fun to pick them out. And I'm sure I only caught a smattering of what's in there. Um, as a Canadian, I have to say I appreciate the Rush references. You've got Spindrift, of course, the Spindrift Nebula and, and Headlong Flight itself. Those are always fun to, to try and find for sure. And I do have to say, I also loved the little reference to the Vulcan travel guide in the final chapter. There. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is I was writing, I was writing headlong flight about the same time I was editing the Klingon or the Vulcan travel guide. Um, so I couldn't help, but have dreams involving both manuscripts. Um, and I thought, well, why not? You know, um, everybody's expecting me to do something silly anyway at some point in a book like this. So why not uh, just go for broke and do a little cross marketing? Um, I did not find a way to market my 24 novel or the Mars attacks novella, though I did try. So hey, the, the Talak sour fizz actually sounds good. I mean, I, that's something I would, I wish I really could try. Was that in the travel guide? I don't remember. Yeah, it is. The okay. travel guide is in there, and a couple of locations that are cited in the in the dialogue are are from the guide as well. Um, yeah, I figured. Well, I've I've already made the one reference. I might as well just go all in uh, and get it over with and get it out of my system. Um, Only thing I'm waiting for is when somehow that 
Dan, Bruce, and I all show up in a book in a scene together. Well, work on that. All right, but see, now you've asked for it, which means that your doppelgangers have to die. So oh, I, I yes. was going to say, Matt, be I careful want a what good you wish death. for here. That's the rule. If you ask to be included as a namesake, I have to kill you. That's the rule. Oh, that, that's so, exciting, though. Yeah. I'd, I'd kind of like to rule die. 47, out. Yes. So. I love Can it. I be the one that kills Matt and Dan and I get killed another way? We'll figure out something. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. I, I really appreciate any that. of this, by the way. You're the one who's got <laughs> Dan's like, I'm just over here making pancakes. What's that about? <laughs> it's like, Dan's like, can we just get a Tim Horton reference really, in? Yeah, that would really. be great. Just, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, before we even started, we were talking about all the things that you're doing this year. I know you write so much more than than Star Trek. Obviously, your twenty four novels, everything else. Uh, what else have you got that's out right now? And then what's coming up for you that everybody needs to be aware of? Uh, well, in addition to Headlong Flight, which came out at the end of January, um, Titan Books also uh, released an anthology uh, called Planet of the Apes: Tales from the Forbidden Zone. Uh, it's edited by uh, Rich Hanley and Jim Beard, and it is a collection of sixteen uh, brand new stories, all set in the continuity of the original. Uh, Planet of the Apes movies and television series from the 70s. So the original 1968 film, it's four sequels, um, the live-action television show from the 70s, and the animated follow-up. Um, no Tim Burton 2001 remake, and and we're, we weren't allowed to use anything from the newer uh, reboot uh, continuity. Um, so as a lifelong Planet of the Apes nerd, that was a lot of fun to write, particularly for the – I wrote my story set with the characters uh, from the television series the live action television series, which is a personal favorite of mine. So um, I had a ball writing that one. Um, that's out now and it's getting really good reviews pretty much everywhere. Uh, so hopefully Titan is watching all that and will commission a second book. Cause I, I left my story on a cliffhanger. Um, sorry, spoiler alert. Let's see what else is coming up here. I've got the second next generation novel uh, that'll be out in the, in the late spring, early summer called hearts and minds. And it's another enterprise E novel that we already talked about. Uh, I've got the Klingon travel guide coming out this summer, which is a follow-up to the Vulcan guide from last year. And it's basically another addition in that series of hidden universe travel guides. So, you know, if you're looking to take a vacation to Quonos and Kittimer and all that, you should pack this in your bag. Um, that's, that's enough for one show, I think, don't you think? Well, thanks for, for coming on. I, it's, I, I love now just getting to come on and talk to the authors is is fantastic and and uh you know you're you're the longest running guest on the show too so it's it's just always a joy to have you here and i have to say um uh, just personally really enjoyed this book i i thought it was so much fun i i liked that you know as much as i love all the continuity that happens it was nice to have a fun standalone but just a, a, an enjoyable story it felt like um a, a fantastic you know Enterprise E episode, and uh, I I loved the. Uh, to me, it was really enjoyable to be back with uh, uh alternate universe Enterprise D, and yeah, all of that weaving together. I just I had a blast reading it, and so um yeah, really really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, Margaret, my editor, Margaret Clark, she asked me to do another standalone, uh, a largely standalone tale with the Enterprise crew, kind of like Armageddon's Arrow, um. And she said, do another one like that. That one did really well. And I said, okay. And then uh, I gave her the outline for this. And, of course, she said, this is not really what I had in mind, but we'll go with it. <laughs> so, but next time, behave. And then, I, of course, I gave her the outline for the hearts and minds. And she's like, okay, you're not listening. So uh, 
I don't know. I might be in the doghouse. So we'll see. Before you go, one other thing I wanted to mention. We don't usually talk about the covers of novels, but I have to say, like, I, I tend to buy whichever I can get my hands on first, either the ebook or if it's early in the bookstore, the hard copy. And I'm so happy I got the hard copy of this one because every time I put it down, just seeing that gorgeous cover uh, that this one has, uh, just absolutely gorgeous. I love this cover. Well, thank you. I had absolutely nothing to do with that. Um, <laughs> that all credit for that cover goes to uh, Doug Drexler for the ship renderings and uh, Allie Reese, who did another one of her stellar backgrounds to uh, enhance Mr. Drexler's shipwork. Um, they have collaborated on three or four of my covers and it's always a treat to see what they're going to come up with. Um, so yeah, I'll do credit to Mr. Drexler and, Ms. and Mrs. Reese there uh, for that work. Thank you for making my book look good. <laughs> so anyone out there, get the hard copy because it's worth it. <laughs> oh, and they always look better in real copy. I mean, the, the JPEGs look pretty nice, even the high-res versions that we get to approve, but it never it never looks the same as when you hold it in your hand. It's the colors are always brighter or crisper or whatever, but uh, that's just my personal take on it. No, no, I'm with you on that because I was just going to say, I, I bought the book through Kindle and a lot of times I don't really get to see the cover that often. Cause usually when I have a physical book, I see it laying around every time I go pick it up, I see that cover But when I don't see that with eBooks. So I, I even go into the bookstores, even after I've read a book as an eBook, I go in just to pick it up and, and know what that physical object feels like in my hands and look at the real cover. I, I know I'm getting a little too out there. Right you're getting a little weird there. Yeah. I, I am. So maybe we should wrap <laughs> it up. <laughs> I want to hold it and squeeze it and call it George. <laughs> Don't squeeze the book. <laughs> well, Dayton's, thank you so much for joining us. We, I, I think you've been on the show more than I have at this point. <laughs> I have to be honest, I quit counting um, because I, I I think you all endeavor to get the writer on of that month's book if at all possible. Do you not? Yeah, we yeah. do. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know how many, I mean, like I said, do you, how many episodes are we up to now? What's your number? Uh, this is 180. Okay. So I've been in like 157 of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I counted earlier. You're right. <laughs> well, you're always welcome for more though. So we can never get enough Dayton. Oh man. You gotta, gotta, gotta let other people have their turn and you gotta elevate the bar. You know, I, I lower it when I walk in here you, gotta, you have to reset it. So, <laughs> once in a while. so, but I appreciate you, you guys having me on. I appreciate the support that uh, you all have always shown, not just to me, but, uh, but the other writers and the entire line, it's, uh, it's, uh, it makes the job that much more satisfying. Well, if we can keep getting more Star Trek novels, it's all worth it. <laughs> we're, we're selfish. We're in this to get more Star Trek novels. I'll be honest. <laughs> I like them too. Yeah. We're just buttering you up for more novels. That's all. <laughs> well, thanks again <laughs> for joining us. No, I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Well, I mean, I know I say this every time we get an author on, but especially with Dayton, it's always just so much fun to be able to talk to the creators behind these really great stories. And this one in particular, I have to say, I really enjoyed this one. So it was a lot of fun to talk to Dayton this week. I did too. And it really shows because when I started the book, I was on a plane and I probably read the first maybe five chapters, something like that. and then. 
Saturday, I sat down to read the rest, read the book, and I read the rest in that day. And it's unusual for me to read the majority of a book in one day. I usually try to break things up, and I I'm busy with other things. But it, I had the time, and it just it flew right by. It just was such an easy, fast read because I was just so into it. And it just flowed so well, so I really enjoyed it. It's yeah, it's funny. I think we're all going to be a broken record because I was kind of the same way. I started it on Sunday. And every opportunity that I've had to read, I've just been reading this. And it's because I've been wondering what's going to happen in the story. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and I just, I think I was just, enjoyed, like, I, I, would, I, I didn't say this to Dayton, and we probably should, but one of the things that I really enjoyed is the way in which he's writing the Enterprise characters. Uh, the, the Enterprise E characters feel like they're so fun you know there there, there's a looseness now to the enterprise and they get to goof off with each other and and they get to kind of be fun and snarky with each other and he's inserted a lot of familiarity between them now because they've been together so long you know Mm -hmm. and and so i really like the the feel of being on the enterprise e with these characters. I mean, who doesn't want to hang out with these guys at the Happy Bottom Riding Club? I mean... <laughs> oh, I know I do. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds like the 602 all over again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and yeah, all the memorabilia behind the bar, I had the exact same thought. I thought... I, I always think that's a really cool touch. And I love that that was brought into the story this time. There's a picture of the alternate Enterprise D crew hanging up there now. Yeah. Yeah, really nice touch. I like that. I forgot about that. Yeah, and uh, the crew is a lot, you know, it's a little more loose than what the crew had been before. So it the ship, you know, Captain Picard's style of command has changed over time. Matt, as you had mentioned, uh, but they're not as loose as maybe the New Frontiers crews. But you know, they're they're getting there. <laughs> they're getting a little loose. <laughs> There's some relationships going on there. That's the other thing that I like is I like the fact that th- these people are kind of falling into relationships with each other. And and it's it's a lot of fun to me to see that because it makes so much sense. I, I just I always got kind of frustrated, you know, characters in Star Trek didn't really hook up until like Deep Space Nine where people started to to be in relationship to with one another and and I just I, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. I that's what I'm saying is is I think that they're really hitting it out of the park. Well, even this Enterprise D crew, Riker and Troy are together earlier than they were in the series. So even mm-hmm. he went there with their relationship where which didn't happen till after the series ended. So we're in what year four of the Enterprise D, and in this alternate universe, Riker and Troy are already together, not married, but they're definitely in a relationship. Definitely a lot of fun to see. I I love when books, when these books play with those relationships and and evolve them. I think that's that's the thing that I really like is that they're evolving and moving forward. And it really, with these new crew members, it really feels like it could be a next generation television series. I would certainly watch them. Oh, absolutely. So let's just hope there is another Next Generation series. You never know. We'll see. But it's been fun talking about relationships and talking to Dayton today. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on the Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. (laughs) 
it was kind of a, a creepy, scary, very intense episode. I really like this episode because it pulls you in and it seems very realistic. And so, so you, you I, I like love Mary. when it does it. You're, you're a like Mary, Mary fan. Yeah, I like so Mary, Mary was one of the ones I, I was kind of jokingly referencing where it's like, well, you know, if you leave this one out of the rotation, it's not really going to hurt anybody. Oh, I definitely uh, thought you meant the next one. <laughs> well, maybe so. Earl Grey. And there's these 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 spooky aliens and like they look like ferrets and they're fighting and like Picard is like possessed by this like thunder and lightning and the crew are like gonna have a like are gonna go up against him but they're like no we gotta respect the law man and it's like that you know if you respect the law someone will end up being a cloud man you know to the journey what would you have done well I'd have like programmed my tricorder open the door lob it in shut the door quick. <laughs> Try that first of all. So you would lob a tricorder probe. Hope it doesn't break as it lands. Well, you could wrap it in like some gaffer tape or something. Some bubble wrap. The 602 Club. That feels like a a turning point in the movie where they seem to go toward this moral of the story that they even repeated at the end, which is, you know, don't be so busy trying to make a life that you forget to participate in the present of where you are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite quadrant of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for our listeners to find the shows as they search in iTunes. And we really would appreciate that. And if you're not an Apple user, well, don't worry, because we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher. TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. And another way you can help us keep our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, You'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our current development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to also thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shea Matala, and Norman Lau for their support of the Trek FM network and being great producers for literary treks as well. So, Dan, I have to ask you, when you're not sitting back drinking a Tola's Sour Fizz at the Lake Huron on Vulcan, where can people find you? Well, I mean, it's so relaxing here. The oxygen levels are a little low, but I took some triox compound, so we're doing okay. Uh, but yeah, when I'm not here, you can find me on Twitter. My handle there is at Kertrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Look at me using the word handle like it's the early 2000s. Uh, you can find me on Facebook.com slash Productions and on YouTube.com slash Productions. And of course, you can find me kicking around the Babel Conference. Now, Matt, when you're not sitting in the Happy Bottom Riding Club discussing the current goings-on with your favorite half-Vulcan, Teresa Chen, where can we find you? 
man, you picked my favorite character too. Like she's totally like she's my type. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, MRushing. You might catch some Happy Bottom Writing Club pictures, so you never know. Uh, I'm also here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, as well as The 602 Club, which is our general geek show. Uh, find all of those on iTunes. And, of course, there's also Star Wars The 602 Club collection as well, if you're just like Star Wars. And over on The Nerd Party doing aggressive negotiations with john mills where we talk exclusively about star wars each and every week just pick a crazy topic from star wars and just discuss it like you would with any of your friends you know over a beer or soda or you know whatever it is you drink in your part of the galaxy last but not least doing owl post a harry potter podcast with drea kaufman and we're talking about each and every harry potter chapter one chapter at a time now, Bruce, when you're trying to figure out which dimension you're actually in at the moment, where can we find you? I can't tell you that because I can't figure which dimension I'm in because in each dimension I have a different Twitter handle. But I think in this dimension, the one that we're currently in, you can find me at Admiral underscore Rex on Twitter. And you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars podcast with Rally Blanton and Mark Herleman. And you can find that podcast on any iTunes or podcast catcher of any kind or whatever. You can find us out there. So check that out and go to StarWarsReport.com and you can read some blogs on there too if you like Star Wars. you also find me in the Babel Conference talking about Star Trek. Thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.